0: Uh, my dog's name is bailey and my dog bailey is probably like a lot of your dogs in that she loves to chase squirrels so we live uh, kind of on the front of south hill sort of near the bridge road shops, and so we will walk what's called the carriage trail from the old governor's mansion down the hill and it kind of has these switchbacks it's a nice path through the woods we probably walk that i don't know five or six times a week with uh with bailey with our dog and every time we go she chases squirrels you know she sees a squirrel and she looks you know she runs after it and, and barks and you know and we like to kind of either tease or encourage her We're like you almost got that one Bailey I'm sure you get the next one you know or she's at the bottom of a tree barking at the squirrel that's at the top I'm like I'm sure if you bark long enough the squirrel will just come right back down and, you know chat with you so that's her kind of regular routine of chasing squirrels as dogs do so a couple of years ago the unbelievable happened right she caught a squirrel right but not really so we're we're walking and you know and she's doing her squirrel chasing thing as dogs do chasing a squirrel and run around and all of a sudden this i I kid you not this is i wish i had on video because i'd be tiktok famous but so but we're we're walking and there's a electrical wire ahead of us by like i don't know 20 yards or something and a squirrel falls off the electrical wire and like smashes into the pavement and is quite stunned right and so bailey runs over to the squirrel as though she has actually landed the squirrel herself which she has not the thing just fell off the wire Uh, but it was funny watching bailey with this squirrel because she didn't know what to do like i don't think it had ever crossed her mind like what if i actually catch a squirrel What am i going to do with the squirrel and so she's sniffing it and and she's i'm like i'm looking at her she's got this quizzical look on her face something like is she going to eat it is she going to just sniff it is she going to play with it is she going to try and resuscitate it you know because there's this concussed squirrel on the ground you know what do you do with a concussed squirrel and so I kind of felt the need to step in. I'm like, this is not for you. you got a, a yellow lab against a concussed squirrel. It's not quite a fair fight. So I pulled Bailey off, and we walked down the carriage trail a little bit more. And then when we came back, the, the squirrel was gone. It somehow survived. And you wonder, why in the world is Matt sharing this story? Myself as well. Um, but here's the thing. is We start a new series today, and it's called uh, Faith That Follows. And, and we're asking this question is, after somebody places their faith in Jesus, what's next? Because when you find Jesus, or maybe properly put, when Jesus found you, but when you find Jesus, you have this incredible pearl, this incredible gem, this incredible relationship with the God of the universe. And so when we ask the question, well, what do we do that now that we've caught this amazing God, what do we do with that? And so... I'm kind of comparing you to a yellow lab and Jesus to a squirrel, but not exactly. But that's the idea. It's like Bailey it it's like, well, now what do I do? And so we ask that same question is, well, now what do I do that I have Jesus? What does that look like? You know, if you were here last week on Easter, we talked about this reality that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. That Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And that is the cornerstone of our faith. The cornerstone of our faith is not how Christians treat each other. The cornerstone of our faith is not how the church acts or has acted historically. The cornerstone of our faith is not whether Jesus answers the prayers that I pray in the way that I want him to answer. The cornerstone of our faith is a person and an event the person of Jesus Christ, and the event that he rose from the dead, he came back from the dead. And so our faith is not based on an idea, it's not based on a book, it's not based on a philosophy, it's not based on a moral code of conduct. Our faith is based on a real person and an actual event in history. And so then we ask the question, when we place our faith in Christ, what is supposed to come next? And so whenever that was for you whether that was seven days ago on easter or several decades ago when you placed your faith in christ we say what is it that comes next and so what we're doing over the course of this series of faith that follows is we're going to look at some of the original followers of jesus some as far as in the uh, in the gospels who began to follow jesus and then some who followed jesus right after he rose from the dead and we're going to look at those characters And we're going to say, what did they do? What were some of the unique things that they did that we can then do in our own lives? And that's what faith that follows is. And so today we're going to talk about followers gather together. Next week we're going to talk about how followers pursue Jesus throughout a lifetime. And then the last week we're going to talk about, it's a three-week series, about how followers go. And we're going to look at these three big things that followers of Jesus do and so today we're going to start with this idea that followers of jesus gather and so what we're going to do is i'm going to share with you a promise that jesus gives uh, and then we're going to look at two greek words and then we're going to look at the first church and then we're going to talk about some one other verses so that's where we're going over the next 20-25 minutes or so so here's the promise and this comes from matthew 18 20 if you want to jot this down and jesus is talking to the disciples about relationships and what's it going to look like to be a follower of jesus but also recognizing that they're going to do this together and he says this jesus says for where two or three are gathered in my name there i am among them he says when two or three people who are followers of me who place their faith in me come together there i am with them right and when you come together for the purpose of being together in christ for the purpose of what god has brought you together when you bring when just two or three people gather there i am with you that's kind of a pretty neat promise that god that jesus is with us because we have gathered for the purpose of being with him that's the promise let me give you the first greek word it's the word uh, ecclesia. and i put on the screen if you want to jot that down uh, that's a greek word and in the new testament that word is translated as the word church. So whenever you read the word church in your New Testament, it's the word ecclesia. And the word church never refers to a building. The word church refers to a gathering of people, a gathering of people who are gathered together for a specific purpose. That's an ekklesia, okay? So that's the first word I want us to see. Here's the second word. <clears throat> it's the word koinonia, okay? And that's a Greek word. You can jot that down if you want. But koinonia means to participate in something together Uh, it is often as you read through your bible it's translated as the word fellowship Uh, but every time that it's used it's about people contributing or participating or doing something together for one another or for a greater good is what, what koinonia means and so and that again is translated as the word fellowship and as you kind of surveys churches you know around the world or even in charleston most churches have one of those two in their name you have maranatha fellowship you have bible center church you have Riverridge church you have new life fellowship so either fellowship or a church depending on whatever you know for whatever reason they chose that last part of it or the tradition that they come from and so when you look at those two things that's what we're to be about when we gather we gather together for a purpose of participating with one another and so what I want us to do is we're going to look at a passage in the book of Acts, and it basically looks at uh, and it describes what is it the followers of Jesus do. Now that they place their faith in Jesus, what do they do when they gather together? So this is where we're going to be for most of the morning. This is Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Okay, so there's that word fellowship, which we know means koinonia, so that's the original Greek word there. And so it says that they gathered together, and they had the fellowship. And so it means that they didn't just gather and, and stand around, there was things that they did with one another, for one another, in conjunction with each other. They participated together. Gives two examples, it said the breaking of bread, and that was their way of describing communion. And then it also says to pray. And so they prayed together and they shared communion together. Then it continues on. It says, And awe came, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so what we see is that they were bringing together, they were meeting each other's financial needs. So this person doesn't have enough food, well I'm going to go sell my extra donkey. Or this person doesn't have a place to live, I'm going to invite him in. You can see in this passage that they cared for each other in terms of selling their possessions and that type of thing. And, And this is not a giving message at all, but what I want us to see is that when they gathered together, they did things for one another they didn't just come and listen and sing that they came and they did things for one another they participated in the church and then it says this in verse 46 it says and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts so in there there's two ways that they met i want you to see this the first is they met in the temple And the second is they met in houses or in homes. Another verse a little bit later on says they met in the temple and they met from house to house. And so as we talk about the church being a gathering, that we gather together corporately together in person, but we also gather in homes. About two weeks ago, it was actually on on Palm Sunday, I was struck with the value and importance of meeting together together. In person and and kind of the uniqueness and value of that and and here's kind of the way this is sort of how my mind worked on that particular day so if you are here you remember that was the day Palm Sunday I dressed up as a character and I gave the message as a character right how, just out of curiosity how many of you were here that day oh good a lot of you okay perfect um so you're gonna grasp this I think so I I, I did the message and then we had set up, and it was my idea. I said, "Jay, why don't you come out and lead a song just by yourself with the, you know, with with the people, with the congregation?" Uh, and then we we picked a version of "Amazing Grace" for him to do. And so after I finished, I, I walked back out there past the drum set, and then right over there is where we do the live stream. And so I was watching, just basically watching the live stream, not in here. And and so I saw it, and. and uh, so Jay was singing and and, and kind of softly, and he was finger picking. And, and as I watched it on the TV, the live stream, it was kind of lame. I told Jay that it's okay; you can laugh. It was kind of lame. <laughs> Kirk, <laughs> okay. So, um, it, it, but it was it was it was kind of lame. And and uh and so I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, well, it was my choice. Maybe that's a bad decision to do it this way with just Jay and a guitar. And so after the service I, I went up to jay this is after the 9:45 service i said i said jay how did it go how, you know how, i didn't say jay that's really lame i just said you know how did it go and he said it was really good people just seemed to be in the spirit and it, was, it was really good i'm like okay great so then uh i, I do the second service dress up with the character again uh, but instead of going back to the live stream area and just watching it on a on a tv i, I stood here and I sang Amazing Grace. And Jay did the same thing. He he fingerpicked, he can he sang kind of softly into the microphone. But it was amazing because the voices filled this auditorium. And the same thing that was happening at the 945 service uh, that I was not a part of in the live stream, with people were filling this auditorium with voices, and it was participating together and it was a moment for me where I realized that we have the online service and live stream, but there's a part of being together that just can't be duplicated. That can't be duplicated. When you sit in a room or stay in a room and sing with one another and enjoy the presence of God together, it is absolutely amazing. And I just love that we have this opportunity to gather and to do that. And and again this Two weeks ago really kind of brought that out, the value of that. And we will continue to do live stream, we'll continue to offer that for those that can't get to church. But at the same time, I feel like, man, be here because there's something that's not totally reproducible when you're at home watching on your TV, your phone, or whatever. The other part that he talks about here, he says they met in the temple courts and then they broke bread in their homes, or they met uh in house to house. And the church at this time, the best guess is there was probably about 3,120 people. You go, that's kind of an exact number. Uh, But that comes from, because before Jesus rose from there, the best estimate is there was about 120 followers of Jesus. And then 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost. So the church is now over 3,000 people. And when we talk about participating in, in the church and gathering and doing stuff a lot of what god calls us to do can't be done in a corporate setting a lot of what he calls us to do is when we're in a groups of you know 10 25 eight people whatever it is of caring for one another and it says it says that they also met from home to home that's a big part of why we have life groups here we have life groups that meet in offices and some meet here and some meet around fire pits and some meet at restaurants and all these different places for the purpose of gathering where two or three are gathered to share and to do life together. And then Luke continues on as he's narrating what's happening in this first church. It says this it says, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It says that all it says, praising God and having found favor with all the people. And so when it talks about all there, that's not inside the church, that's outside the church. Because the church was gathering because the church was going out because the church was participating in caring for one another it was noticed by the community and everybody around praise God said I'm not part of that thing but I'm sure glad this church thing is here in Jerusalem which is where this was to start with and I share that with you because that's what I believe happens in our community That is, we gather here, but then as we go out, as we care for one another, there's so many ways that we affect and influence our community. You know, when we talk about the dollar club, when we do these go-local projects, when we do the, when we do Big Kick soccer camp coming up, when we serve on the west side and tutor kids and provide meals to kids that wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to have a good meal. Those are the things that the community takes a look and say this is the church not just going to church not just attending in a building but this is the church doing life together participating together so here's the bottom line for this morning and then we're going to talk a little bit more and flesh this out but here's the bottom line is followers don't just gather for church they are the church followers as followers we don't just gather for church but we are the church as you look through the bible if you were to read the new testament cover to cover you would find that and you underline every time it said one another you would come to about 30 or 40 verses that talk about one another how to treat one another love one another serve one another be kind to one another there are all of these verses and so as we talk about the church not just going to church but being the church it's about these one another verses and how we practice them i was uh, listening to a guy this week talk about church and this is something he said i'm going to go ahead and read it verbatim because he just says it so well he says you will never become all god wants you to be by going to church you will only become all god wants you to be when you become the church by living out the one another verses and I love that. You will never become all that God wants you to be just by going to church. The only way to become all that God wants you personally to be is by living out these one another verses. You know, many of you know that Young Life uh, and Riverridge kind of have a partnership in some different ways in, in the community. But uh, in Kenya, uh, we've been supporting Young Life for uh, 13 going on 14 years. And so I've had the opportunity to, to go and to visit. And when we got involved 13 or 14 years ago, uh, it was a very small ministry, relatively speaking. There were three full-time staff and a few thousand kids involved with the ministry, right? And we, not because of our doing, but we've just had the privilege to watch this grow and to grow and to grow. And so now, in, just in the country of Kenya, there are 43 full-time staff and over 100,000 kids gather to hear about Jesus every week. And I've had the privilege of kind of watching firsthand how this has grown. And one of the reasons is because they've taken an African proverb and they've applied it to how they're going to do young life in Africa and in Kenya specifically. And it's this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Don't you love that? If you want to go fast, then then go alone. But if you want to go far, then go together. And so we gather for the purpose of participating in life with each other, not just attending something, but to participate in life together. That is a koinonia, that is a fellowship. So what I want to do for the last just about 10 minutes or so is I want to share with you uh, three one another verses. And you know, as you think about the one another verses, there are certainly ones that, that come to mind, you know, love one another, care for one another, serve one another, that type of thing. But I want to talk about three that are maybe a little bit lesser known to challenge you as we talk about what does it mean to gather together as followers of christ the first one comes from galatians chapter six says this it says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ so how important is it to fulfill or how important is it to bear one of those burdens it's so important that Paul compares it to fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ is when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another, and then the second part is just as important, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? He laid down his life for you. That's the law of Christ. And so he says part of that is that we are to bear one another's burdens. Bear the burdens of one another. So that's the first one another verse. And I'm going to share a couple of examples with this one and the next one. And a lot of these come out of my own experiences with being in groups. I've been in groups at uh, River Ridge since we've started, and really have been in, in a small group since I was probably 15 or 16 years old when I first became a Christian, but bearing one another's burdens. So one of the groups I'm in, uh, one of the men shared uh, about his daughter that was struggling with some things, just some, just some difficult things, and and so he, as a result, was kind of struggling. How do I deal with this? And he, he shared this with our group. And it was really interesting to see how our group responded uh, to this man sharing this issue kind of that he was struggling with uh, with his daughter. And there were kind of three things that I noticed. And I just kind of sat back, and this group's been meeting for a while, and so I kind of just was allowing the dynamics of it to take place. But, you know, the first thing I noticed was empathy, that people recognized, like, Man, that's hard. That's difficult. I'm sorry you're going through that. And people expressed that. The second thing that people expressed is so many people had something to share that was very similar. So the, the, the person shared, I don't want to kind of divulge too much information, but, but it was sharing about it, and other people were like, you know, I struggle with that too. One of my kids struggles with that as well. And just, like, you aren't the only one that is having this kind of difficulty and that type of thing. And then the third thing that happened, this is beautiful, is people asked questions and then offered to help and gave some suggestions. And it was just a beautiful picture of living out this Galatians verse bear one another's burdens. And as he shared, the people around that room were bearing the burden with him. And, and one of the things that I love about these one another verses, and this is almost too obvious, but all of the one another verses take two people. To be involved right and so in this situation there's the guy who bears the who bears the burden who he shares the burden and then there's the other people who come around and take it with him and and it takes somebody kind of saying hey here's what's going on and then other group of people to 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 bear that with him to, to stand with him in that and i share that with you because there's a place for all of us in that and it comes back to this bottom line question are you going to church are you being the church do you just go to church or are you the church here's another one another verse this is james chapter 5 verse 16 Uh, therefore confess your sins one to another therefore confess your sins one to another it's very simple is uh confess your sins to one another that's the one another verse here now if you grew up catholic like i did you may kind of look at this verse and you're like, that kind of seemed like a Catholic thing. Because I remember like you had to go to the priest and confess your sins and, and all that kind of thing. And, and I did that a couple of times when I was a child. And I can remember the very first time that I went to confession. Uh, I think it was in second grade. as part of my first communion. And, and at that time in the Catholic Church, they were trying to make confession a little bit different. So when you see confession like in the movies or a TV show, you always see like they go in this like booth and there's this like curtain there and it's kind of this anonymous thing. Um, but what the, the Catholic Church has tried to do, at least they were trying to do when I was uh, in elementary school, is they're kind of trying to make it a bit more open, so to speak. And so I went in the back room of this little country Catholic Church and it was my time to confess my sins one to another, confess my sin to the priest. And you know, and as a second grader, I'm like, I don't know how much I mean I lied to my parents probably, I don't know. But the one thing that I do remember that I confessed um, is that I there was I was playing with the neighbor kid and there was this big like five-gallon milk jug or like gallon jug kind of not milk jug, but like this five-gallon plastic jug, and I hit him in the face with it and I chipped his tooth. So I'm like, that's a good thing to confess, I got something here. So so I, I say that, and the priest then says, okay, you know, go back out in the front of the church and say, I don't know, I think he said, say five Hail Marys and four Our Fathers, or whatever it was, right? I'm like, okay. So I went out, and I had memorized those, and so I said those prayers. And then I can remember my brother was there also. He probably had a lot more to confess than I did, by the way. He was kind of a wild child. Uh, so he goes in, and, and I'm like, well, what, what was your sentence? What did they give you? right? And then my sister goes in, and they tell her to do some Hail Marys and some Our Fathers, and she comes out, I'm like, Sally, what'd they give you? What'd they give you? And, and then uh, my dad goes in, and he comes out, Dad, what'd they give you? And my dad then sort of scolds me. He's like, you don't ask people what their sentence is from the priest. That's just not appropriate. I'm like, I'm sorry, didn't know that. Now I'll remember that for next time. Um, but for many of us, when it says confess your sins one to another, that's kind of our view, as much as you understand about catholicism but here's the thing is this is not like only in the catholic bible like this is in our bible right this is in the protestant bible so to speak is that we are to confess our sins one to another and i understood this um, probably the light came on uh, a number of years ago when i was in africa and i was with this guy who was a devout catholic okay and so we went over there with a team of a bunch of people, and we were the worker. We served meals and made meals and cleaned toilets and all that kind of stuff. But the, one of the last nights of this camp, uh, they invited us to be kind of prayer partners or available for prayer for the kids, these high school kids in the camp. And so we were kind of seated in this kind of dining room area, and a kid would come over, and just they would ask us to pray for something. And so there was a kid that came over and asked me, and he was just kind of sharing his life a little bit, and, and he was having struggles, and he was super honest with me. He's like, you know, I, I struggled with, you know, some sexual stuff, and he shared that, and I struggled with some drug addiction stuff, or drug stuff usage, and he shared that, and, you know, and we were just talking about God's forgiveness and so forth, and then he asked me a question, and uh, he said, do I have to go confess this to the priest? Now, in Africa, in Young Life Kenya, it's run by this great group of people, and a lot of them are Catholic. They're evangelical Catholics, which is, you don't see a whole lot of that around the United States, but these folks uh, are just incredible, just incredible, but a lot of them are, are, come from a Catholic background, which again, which is a little bit different for us, um, and so I was like, you know, I don't know. You should probably ask your Young Life leader what he thinks, because I didn't want to kind of stick my nose in where it shouldn't be, you know, kind of cross-culturally and so forth. Um, and so, but my, I'll tell you, my inner dialogue was, you don't have to do that. Like, you just confess to God and you're good. That was my inner dialogue. So he leaves, pray with a few other kids. Later that night, I go and I talk to this guy named Deo. And Deo, they call him Papa Deo. He's this older guy. He's kind of the guru in a lot of ways. And he's he's Catholic, um, but he's also like really southern baptist I that's sort of a weird thing but like he did an altar call at a young life camp which is not normal and he's having like the kids kneel down and say a thing after him and this whole deal so but i went up to dale and i said dale this kid asked me if he should um, confess his sin to the priest and i didn't know what to tell him what should i tell him and dale says this he goes matt he goes me matt he goes matt the reason that the boy did not want to confess his sin to the priest is he does not want the priest to hold him accountable and it was like a mic drop i'm like wow that made me understand confession so much better and the other reason for confession that that a priest does and that we do one to another is that the other part of what a priest does is he assures the person of their forgiveness because i know in this room Like we sin and then we carry around the guilt and the shame and the burden and more guilt of it for weeks and weeks and months and months and years on end. And there's a healthy part of confessing your sin. And then that person says to you, I want you to know you are forgiven. Jesus forgives you of your sin. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And to hear that, There's something healthy about that. And so we confess our sins one to another. I love what Celebrate Recovery says about the confession of sin. They say in in Celebrate Recovery, which is a recovery um, ministry that meets here on Monday nights, is you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. So when it comes to the church, are you going to just go to church or are you going to be the church for one another? give you one more. This is from the book of Hebrews. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And I love that word spur, um, because it kind of reminds you of a horse, and you give the horse a little nudge in the the hindquarters. It doesn't hurt the horse. um, But you give them a little nudge, and then they jump forward, and they start running faster. And that's really what a spur is, that we nudge each other on and then it helps us all to run faster. So the f- third one is spur one other on. And uh, again, I, I'm in different groups, uh, these communities, life groups. Uh, but I'm in a men's group. And just this past week, we were going through a devotional uh, that we read together. We each read five of these little devotionals a week and then talk about them. But we were talking about one, and it was about having purpose and having influence. And in this group, about two-thirds of the guys in this group are coaches. And so, and, and I also'm a coach, but one of the guys started to talk about coaching and a conversation he had of really kind of taking a bit of a risk and talking about spiritual stuff with one of the people that he was coaching, one of the kids that he was coaching, um, and it was one of those moments that when he started to share that, that God immediately laid something on my heart to do. He spurred me by his words on what God wanted me to do, and there's a guy uh, that I coach. And he's just going through a bit of a tough time, just a lot of anxiety. He's got pressure from his parents. He's got pressure about grades. He's got pressure from tennis. He's just, he's just kind of like a triple threat kind of just feeling it and just was really struggling um, this week. And so this guy in my men's group who talked about kind of being intentional and helping people out, and God just put on my mind, he said, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Give that to this guy who's struggling with this kind of pressure and anxiety and, and frustration and that kind of thing. And so I, I typed it out. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, let your requests be known to God. And the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I printed that out, and I showed him where it was from, and I just I gave it to him. I don't know where that's going to go, but I took that step because I was spurred by this other guy in this life group that I'm a part of. Again, the question is, are you going to just go to church, or are you going to be the church? I want to wrap up and just talk about application um, for a moment. So I gave you kind of three one-another verses, and as you look at those, which of those do you feel like you can practice? Because all of them are on both sides. We spur, and we get spurred. We confess, and we receive somebody's confession. We share our burdens, and we bear other people's burdens if you're not in a life group it's a great way to to live out some of these things but even as we gather here on a sunday morning do you come do you sit in your chair do you listen to music do you sing the music Do you listen to the sermon and then do you walk out or do you look for the opportunity of talking to somebody around you maybe having a conversation or encouraging them or whatever that might be loving them in some way do you do those things because i would encourage you when you come to church on a sunday don't just come to get. Come to give. Because that's what we see over and over and over with faith that follows. After we place our faith in Christ, it's not, just, it's not about what we get, it's about what we give. And this first church was all about participating and investing in the lives of one another. And that's what we're called to do as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you uh, just for the example of these first Christians and these words from Paul and and how we can do these one another verses with um, each other. I pray that you would help us to not just come to church, but that we would be the church. And uh, God, as we go out into the community this week, let us love well and care well uh, for the people that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.